When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he can't wait to change a bunch of his cards over to those new Time Spiral old border frames. It's Matt Morgan. You know, back in the old days, Joey, uh, excessive use of commas was considered a serious crime and it usually resulted in a, a very long sentence. I A, a run-on sentence, one might even say. That doesn't make any sense. Stop. Stop. Oh, you're right. I'm the one that's not making any sense. Oh, Matt, you you person. Anyway, up next, he doesn't need to change any of his cards to the time spiral old frames because all of his cards already are in old frames. That's Dana Roach. Um, April is almost here, which means everyone's taxes are due. So I just want to ask you, Joey, uh, did you pay the one for that spell? <laughs> Well, I didn't know if I had to pay a one or a two, but I know that if right. I get it wrong, <laughs> there will be some bad problems as a result. So that's where I'm at with my life. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this week? This week, we're going to talk about cards that function as kind of a backup to the commander, helping to supplement the plan that the commander kind of fills for the deck. Yeah, sort of commander redundancy might be a good way to phrase it, or substitutes to a commander. So if you don't have your commander online, does your deck contain cards that might function as a replacement for that commander during the course of your game plan? And which strategies have a lot of those substitutes and which of them don't? So it should be pretty interesting. But before we get to that, we of course have to pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone who help with the post-production on our podcast here, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we want to pause and thank our sponsors for the show too. Yeah, the EDH Trekcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has one of the deepest buy lists online and a stacked inventory to match. So if you have a bad common from Odyssey you want to sell, they tend to buy them. And if you have a bad common from Odyssey you want to buy, they tend to sell them. Uh, similarly, TCG Player has a crazy deep inventory. And if you want to set up a storefront to sell cards, that is the place to do it. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question. Choose the vendor link down below and go to the appropriate site. Doing so supports both us and the uh, website. And if you'd prefer to partner with us directly and support us that way, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have Patreon tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join and contribute some healthy dad jokes to the Discord channel, you're able to do so. Or if you want to check out the historical challenges stats that we have and submit some challenges stats picks, uh, you have a tier for that as well. Head over to patreon.com slash edhretcast and you can definitely partner with us. And we even have a special tier where we support, or not support, we shout out a certain patron every single week uh, just for being a patron of the show and so this week we want to give a very special shout out to hamilton gensheimer uh i saw your name sign up and i just had to pick 
that name. Just <laughs> Gensheimer is just, it's too fun to say. That's a really great name. And Hamilton, we appreciate the support that you are giving to our podcast here. So you know what? Maybe we, we do support Hamilton Gensheimer. We support you and thank you for your support. Yes. That's awesome. And real quick before we get started as well, we should mention that we are, of course, streaming on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. It is a whole bunch of fun. Seriously, the games that we're having are great. The guests that we're having on there are also just fantastic. We've had a bunch of really cool folks on in the past from Power Dragon to Sheldon Menery. And coming up in our next stream is going to be Megan from Infinitokens, who creates those awesome, uh, the small tokens that you can customize, you can draw on with a dry erase marker, which I gotta say, like, real quick shout out for Infinitokens, because those make our games playable and watchable and super enjoyable, especially via webcam. It's just really, really cool. So if you want to see some awesome games, tune in at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. It's a barrel of fun, even though Matt always attacks me and I don't take it personally, I promise. Well, and, and I do attack you, but I do it with infinite tokens. Like, I, I, if there's been kind of a, a hero of the, of the, the what do you call it, the uh, spell table meta game that we've all kind of encountered in the past year or so, um, infinite tokens is definitely the MVP. Just making yep. sure that everyone has all the tokens. You don't have to go out there and, and spend, you know, however many hours digging through your collection to find them. Uh, infinite tokens is just absolute wonder they they're always supporting all the content creators out there um they're just so super helpful for just any games you have going on over webcam well and you can find out who among the um people who stream are artistically inclined like joey (laughs) and you can find who among your streamers can just draw stick figures like me well yeah we 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 are definitely the stick figure crowd and uh (laughs) We're, we're none too impressive with that. Yeah. Surprisingly, Dana's bird tokens, human soldier tokens, and hydro tokens all look exactly the same. Very, very similar. I call that an artistic talent too, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get to our main topic now, fellas. We are talking about commander redundancy, commander backup plans, commander substitutions, the number of cards within an average commander's deck that would kind of serve as a potential replacement to that commander if that commander can't get online, if it can't stay on the battlefield or things like that. How many cards in a commander's deck will fulfill the same or a similar enough function to what that commander is supposed to do. And why do some of the decks have more of those substitute pieces? And why do some of them have fewer of them? You know, for example, how many landfall payoffs is an Omnath deck playing on average could be an example versus how many is a Voltron deck playing on on average, for example. And what is the underlying cause for those different examples? So a perfect example of this would be something like Tatiova, Benthic Druid, who whenever you play a land, you, you draw a card. You also have um, AC Tyrant of Gyre Straits, who does the exact same thing in the exact same colors. So if you're playing one of those, that gives you another one that does the exact thing in your deck that can back up your commander should you not have it, should it be unavailable, should it cost too much to cast, whatever. You kind of have effectively a clone of that ability that you can play. And it's a clone of that ability that also generally tends to stack. So if you happen to have both, they both are triggering. Yeah, and, and this can get boiled down to just a simple question of, you know, how many proliferate sources does the typical Atraxa deck play, or how many landfall payoffs does the Omnath Locus of Rage deck play, and just what are they doing, what are the decks doing and playing in the 99 to kind of be 
something that, that plays along the same lines as the commander maybe, uh, but just gives you an extra type of that effect, whatever that is that you're trying to be doing in any given deck. Right. And so to collect this information, we just took the average deck list functioning on the EDH rec average deck feature, just aggregating all of that data. And then we took a look to see, you know, how many of those pieces could serve as an alternate to the commander from among the average data that we're seeing for that commander. Before we get to, you know, going into the actual specific commanders, though, I do feel like we got to pause and mention what we are talking about. We kind of covered that, but also what we're not talking about. And that's like something that supplements the ability or synergizes with the commander's ability, because those wouldn't count as a replacement. And as an example, I'll kind of, I'll drift to Zyrus the Writhing Storm as probably the biggest example that stands in my mind. Zyrus the Writhing Storm gives you a bunch of tokens when your opponents draw excess cards, or just when there's, you know, a wheel spell happening, you'll get a whole bunch of tokens as a result of Cyrus's ability. Something that might function as not quite the same impact necessarily, but still sort of a pseudo replacement if you don't have Zyrus in play could be the Locust God, which is also providing you with a bunch of tokens when you a wheel spell because you are drawing cards and the Locust God is making tokens for you for that. Or maybe even Psychosis Crawler might count because when you're drawing extra cards, your opponents are losing a whole bunch of life. You're not making tokens, but it is still a really good payoff that even if you don't have your commander in play, you are still willing to cast a wheel like that deck wants to do in those moments. But something that wouldn't count necessarily as an example would be like Perforos God of the Forge. Perforos God of the Forge deals damage when tokens enter the battlefield, and that synergizes brilliantly with Zyrus. But you're not going to cast a wheel spell when Perforos is in play. And there's no Zyrus in play. Like that doesn't count as a replacement because they're not doing the same thing. So that's not quite what we're addressing here in this episode. Yeah, so we, we talked about it in a previous episode about setup cards and payoff cards as kind of cards that help you get to where you want to be and then cards that reward you for getting to that point. We are not going to talk about cards that, oh, well, yes, you're playing this commander. Obviously, you want to be playing this card. Well, like, that may be true and, and we may touch base on this, but we're looking for cards that kind of fill the same role for the deck as the commander is. So yes, Perforos is obviously very, very good in Zyrus Writhing Storm decks, like you said, Joey, but it doesn't really fill the same role. Right. And in fact, let's, you know, we talked about Zyrus, so let's use that as one of our first examples, just as a wheel archetype. Zyrus, the Writhing Storm, when we look at its average data, what we're seeing when we use that average deck feature, there are roughly like five or six other cards that appear in a Zyrus deck that have a similar functionality, creating a bunch of payoffs when you cast those wheel spells. So the two that jump out here, if we're talking about Zyrus, um, for me right away, are, are, are Chasm Skulker and the Locust God. Um, we've mentioned Locust God already, but these are both um, creatures that when they're in your deck, they're doing something very, very similar to, to Zyrus. When cards are being drawn, they are making tokens, or at least in the case of, of Chasm Skulker, putting counters on him that will eventually become tokens. So they can kind of take the place of your commander or at least allow your deck to do the same thing and generate the same advantage. Um, and they also work in conjunction with that commander. So not only are they a possible replacement should Cyrus not be available, if Cyrus is available, they're just doubling up the effect. So they're a replacement and they're kind of a, a, a an amplifier. Well, and two other cards too that I think jump out that I'm also very familiar with is, is Zyrus Writhing Storm is all about getting those draw triggers and two cards that benefit from having oodles of draw triggers are going to be Niv-Mizzet Perrin, which is that legendary dragon, the, the sixth or seventh, I believe, version of Niv-Mizzet, <laughs> um, but also Psychosis Crawler. And just whenever you're drawing cards, you're pinging folks for damage and 
and you're going to be drawing a lot of cards. You know, the typical Zyrus Writhing Storm deck plays a lot of wheels, a lot of cantrips. So getting all of those extra draw steps with Niv-Mizzet Perrin and Psychosis Crawler, those both are just going to give you so, so much value out of that. It's similar to Zyrus Writhing Storm because you're just maximizing the amount of extra cards that you draw every single turn. Yeah, and frankly, here's kind of a, a thing that might not immediately jump out as a potential quote-unquote replacement or backup or substitute or whatever you'd want to call, but like Hole Breacher also shows up. Get out of here. Cybers. Get out of here with that Hole Breacher. <laughs> Hole Breacher is also a reward when your opponents try to draw extra cards, which you can force them to do when you are casting all of those wheel spells. If you don't have Zyrus in play, Hole Breacher can be a decent substitute when you're trying to cast one of those things like a Windfall because your opponents, yeah, they will not draw extra cards. They will not have a hand anymore. Why did Watsi print that card? Who knows? But that is an example of something that might be functional if you don't have your commander online. That is still a thing that would totally reward you playing a wheel spell in that moment. Good lord, that is so many treasure. I still, you, Matt, I agree with you. When you said get out of here, I totally agree with you. You just, just, <laughs> I will show you the door, sir. Let's let's show that commander the door and move on to another one. Here's one that I really, really like. Another example of a commander that has some, quote, redundant or substitute pieces in it would be Marin of Clan Neltoth, the most beautiful reanimator card. It's delicious. I know that everyone hates this probably just as much as Hole Breacher, but I love it. Reanimator's the best. Marin, of course, is the black and green commander who gives you experience counters when your stuff dies and then can use those experience counters to revive things from your graveyard. So that is functionally the ability that we're looking for here from our commander to revive things out of our graveyard. But there are a bunch of cards in our deck that can also help us out with that if we can't get Marin to stick and play. A bunch of them are one-off spells, but they can still be really, really impactful. You know, there are cards like Living Death, for example, which is really what I want to talk about because it just brings a bunch of cards from the graveyard back out on mass. You've also got classic things like Animate Dead and Victimize. So Marin, on average, is running roughly six to eight other pieces of reanimation in her deck as well. Well, and what you have here is this kind of strange effect where, where not only are a lot of these pieces doing something similar to Marin, but they also work in conjunction with Marin in that your Eternal Witness, for example, bringing something back to your hand and then it dies and you reanimate it with Marin <laughs> and it brings something back again. So like you're you're almost doubling up on the value with these creatures that do a very similar thing. I think the the spell version of that is victimized. That's that's the two and a black sorcery that you know you, you sacrifice a creature to bring back two other creatures. So you have that other creature going back into your graveyard, giving you the experience counters that Marion loves. Like Victimize always has just seemed like such a house for such a low mana investment in, in any given Marin deck. It's so good. And you've also got not just the one-off spells, but also some effects that are a bit more over time. Shieldred makes an appearance in the average Marin deck, for instance. Journey to Eternity is another one that you can use to get stuff back out of your graveyard. And the reason that I'm saying that there's roughly six to eight pieces in there is because, I mean, Dana, you just mentioned Eternal Witness. Some people might count that as a replacement effect uh, that could function even if you don't have your commander, but some people probably won't. And so that's probably... You know why I wanted to put a range in there. That's like six to eight because like the difference between an eternal witness and a shieldred is pretty big. Um, but they are still both doing the same thing, where you're getting stuff out of your graveyard, which is packed with a ton of value. Good lord, Marin is so much fun. Yeah, I mean, some of this is definitely a little bit of a gray area for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like a lot of the cards we just discussed also apply to things like Muldroth of the Gravetide decks or Carador Ghost Chieftain decks, um, particularly the the green and black cards. So we could have the same conversation about both of those two commanders and. Basically mentioned almost all of these same cards. Well, Joey, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal 
steal the spotlight here. We, we got to talk about a commander you like. I'm going to talk about a commander that I like that also has a lot of the same types of cards that, you know, function the same way in the deck. That's going to be Omnath Locus of Rage. That is the uh, the Gruul Omnath version. Only two colors here, uh, but three, red, red, green, green. Has the landfall trigger of whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you create a 5-5 five, five elemental creature token. And then whenever an elemental or Omnath dies, you can deal three damage to any target. So you see a lot of landfall decks and basically the whole function of this deck is you're playing 45 lands, maybe 50, <laughs> uh, who knows 60 if you're feeling very plucky, but you know, how are you going to get any payoffs for that? And Omnath obviously is a very, very good payoff, but you also have some haymakers like Avenger of Zendikar, just making sure that every time you play a land, you're getting some sort of bonus. And then, oh yeah, if you draw Avengers into Carlate, you have a lot of lands in play, which means you're getting a lot of tokens, which you play more lands to make those tokens especially huge. Mm -hmm. There's so many different things that you could do for landfall payoffs, and Omnath is playing roughly eight to 10 of them on average. You mentioned Avenger of Zendikar, Everyone knows that one. Everyone hates or loves that one, depending on loves. whether they're the one we, we all We all love it. <laughs> uh, but then you've also got your Rampaging Bailoths could be another potential substitute if you don't have Omnath in play. Like, a Rampaging Bailoth is also going to give you a bunch of really big tokens when you are playing lands. Or, here's one that I think everyone also has a love-hate relationship with, Scoot Swarm, where... It can just absolutely take over the board if you don't address it very, very quickly. I think Olivia Gobert-Hicks on her stream has gotten somewhere around 5 million tokens in play with this one. That's 11, I believe, was the actual number. I, I wonder if she drew stick figures on every single one of them. I hope she did. I, I would have. And we're not just talking creatures here. There's there's things like Zendikar's Royal. It's an enchantment that does something very similar. Spore Mound that makes 1-1 one, one funguses when you play a land. So it's not even you know just creatures that allow you to duplicate that effect in this deck. You have enchantments that do something very, very similar as well. And again, like we said before, these also stack. It, it's not limited to you know your land. It doesn't have to pick one. If you have all six or eight of these in your deck out simultaneously, that one land is going to generate that many triggers. So there's just almost no downside. It's a backup plan and it's a force multiplier. Now, as we've gone through a couple of examples, you know, we started with Zyrus and now we're here talking about Omnath. Like we are noticing like Zyrus only had like five or six ish that could replace, but Omnath here has like eight, maybe 10 that are showing up on average that could be, you know, lethal landfall payoff replacements if you don't have uh, Omnath there. And like the number are different from category to category, which is pretty interesting to me. And that's something that I would like to explore a little bit later on in the show, because right now, guys, I'm itching to just get right to challenge the stats. It's one of our favorite segments here on the show. We like to look at the data critically on EDHREC because there's just so much of it, and we don't always agree with it. Sometimes cards see too much play or too little play, so we'd like to challenge those stats here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dana, do you want to start us off this week? I certainly can. Um, I am going to challenge the stats on a card from back in the Lorwyn block. And I usually try to be relatively budget friendly, but this one's just over $10 now. But I think it's worth it. And the card is Dire Undercurrents. It's an enchantment for three and um, hybrid Demir, hybrid Demir, five mana total. 
Whenever a blue creature enters battlefield under your control, you may have target player draw a card. And whenever a black creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have target player discard a card. And it's not cast, it's, it's an ETB, so tokens trigger this. Um, it's in about 1,300 decks right now, and I think if you're playing almost any Demir commander that has some density of creatures, it's probably worth considering as a draw engine and a way to uh, hit hands a little bit as well. But I think especially if you are playing a Demir commander that makes tokens, or like in the case of Una, Queen of the Fae, makes blue and black tokens simultaneously, <laughs> generating double triggers, Um it's an amazing card, and it's currently only in about 30% of Una decks. And uh, using one of Matt's favorite commanders, Alela Artful Provocateur, who also makes fairy tokens, it's in 10% of those decks. It just should be in more decks, and I realize it's probably budget-constrained in a lot of situations. But if you happen to have one lying around and you have one of these decks that can run it, you really should. It's an absolute bomb. I'm actually kind of surprised to hear the figure on the Una pick there because those are from the same set. And we often see a lot of corollary between yeah. commanders and cards that came from the same set. They tend to, the numbers usually look really good together. So for that to be that low in Una is like, oh, all right. I think that the budget is, as you said, playing a whole big role there. Well, speaking of cards that show up quite a bit in, in Demir decks and in mono blue decks, especially, um, this is a card that I'm going to challenge that I don't think should be in as many uh, decks. And that's going to be Brainstorm, uh, specifically in Baral Chief of Compliance decks. So Baral is the mono blue commander where basically you're going to counter everybody's stuff, um, but it's instant sorcery spells cost one less to cast. And then whenever you uh, counter a spell with a spell or ability, uh, you can draw a card, then you discard a card. So... Brainstorm is currently being played in 62% of Baral decks, and I already have pro proclaimed my love-hate relationship with Brainstorm many, many times on this podcast. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, and especially when you consider that Baral Chief of Compliance has that ability to make all your instants and sorceries cost one less to cast. Uh, Brainstorm, you have to redraw all these cards unless you're playing some sort of fetch lands and mono blue or anything else to kind of get rid of the, the dead cards. I think there are better cards you, you can be playing, such as Anticipate, which does benefit from having Baral's cost reduction, um, where Anticipate just, you look at the top three cards of your library, you pick one and put it into your hand, then the, put the rest in the, uh, the bottom of your library in any order. I just think unless you're really going hard on the draw triggers, which the typical Baral deck is not doing, I think you can have better card selection that's not going to force you to redraw cards. Brainstorm just, I don't like seeing it in my own deck. <laughs> Um, it's sorry, sorry, Matt. I can hear it in your voice. I'm just like, you know, when we were first getting the podcast together, it was just like Joey really doesn't like Azuri flaw of progress. Yes. And it was just like y'all kind of made fun of me for dying on that hill. But brainstorm has always been your hill. And it's just reminding me of our older podcast episodes. <laughs> Matt's just disgusted by the thought. Brainstorm is is my hill. <laughs> Leave it to me to hate a blue card. But I mean, I, I just think especially since. It's the kind of what we talk about with like Sapphire Medallion and all those cost reductions type of artifacts. You know, Brainstorm doesn't benefit from Baral's ability, whereas cards like Anticipate or you know, all sorts of different spells out there, you can take advantage of the cost reduction, have better card selection from it. Um, I just think there, there are better options. So Brainstorm at 62% of Baral decks, let's see that number go down. Don't get Brainstorm locked. 
Exactly. All right, I'm going to round us out with my challenge now, and mine is also for a blue deck, and this comes from a listener of ours, Daniel Cruz at Pizza Lord Cruz, which, by the way, can we just say that's a really great username. Daniel's got a really cool underplayed card for a mono blue deck here, this one being Azami Lady of Scrolls, and specifically the card that he thinks is a little underplayed is Apprentice Wizard, which is a three-mana wizard that can pay a blue and tap to create three colorless mana for you. This doesn't seem awesome at first, but Daniel notes that it's only played in 64 of the 653 Azami decks out there. And this is a ramp effect in blue that is also a wizard. So it's netting you two mana every time you use that ability. So it's basically a worn power stone. And as he says, it's a worn power stone that you can tap to draw a card. This fits in with two of the most valuable things that you could be doing in this deck, ramping yourself in mana and also drawing more cards. And so it seems kind of strange that it wouldn't be played as much in that deck. Daniel, I think this is a really great pick. Thank you so much for submitting it. Matt, is this a blue card that you'll approve? I'll let this one slide. I'll let this one slide. Okay, guys, let's get back to our main topic now. Looking again through those commanders that have some redundant or replacement or substitute pieces within their deck, I want to move us to Brago King Eternal because the blink is a really interesting strategy. Brago King Eternal is, of course, the Azorius commander that when he hits an opponent, you can exile a bunch of your stuff and then immediately bring it right back. So his goal as a commander is to blink a bunch of your stuff and you get a bunch of enters the battlefields or leave the battlefield triggers as well. The number of other blink effects that Brago is running in his deck is kind of in a range of like anywhere from nine pieces to 11 pieces. You've got your other stuff like Dead Eye Navigator in there, for instance, or the new Thassa Deep Dwelling. I say new, but that was in 2020. What is time anymore? I don't know. But there's a lot of other things that can also help blink all of your stuff to get you more enter and leave the battlefield abilities in the Brago deck. Yeah, um, now this is where I think things get a little trickier when it comes to balancing because you definitely want redundant effects in this Brago deck but you can hit a point where you don't have enough things to blink and you have too many <laughs> things that are able to blink things. So there, there's definitely a balance here that has to get found, but there's plenty of redundancy too. This isn't one of those situations where you only have a couple of backup options. You can go pretty deep, um, including and maybe especially even the um, companion we got recently, Yorian Sky Nomad, in the same exact colors, does something very similar and very much functions as your backup Brago. Right. Not as a companion, obviously, because it right. can't be a companion. But within the deck, it's also blinking a whole bunch of your stuff. So that can be really good. But if it is just blinking your Brago, that doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. So you do want to have something else. Like, But but the the fact that there are 9 to 11 of those extra blink spells actually does kind of resonate with like the fact that Brago sometimes only needs one good thing to be blinking. If you're blinking a Mold Drifter four times with all of these various effects, that's eight cards. That's still t- That seems worth it. Yeah. Well, and something like Deadeye Navigator, which I, I remember five years ago even was kind of like, oh my gosh, this has to be banned, like the, the bane of the format almost. And like today people are like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> but like it still is very, very powerful and has its applications like in a Brago King Eternal deck where, you know, you have so many different targets. Hopefully you have so many different targets and you just need that one valuable one. Deadeye Navigator is able to do it kind of on command, which is a very, very powerful effect. You know, you can have that soul, the the soul bound effect and just pay the, I believe it's the the one in blue and you flicker a creature and it's going crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you even have some things here that not only function as a backup, they function as they, they, they offer other functionality as well. I'm thinking mainly of spells like Eerie Interlude that let you blink your creatures, but they also function as a nice way to protect your creatures in the event of a board wipe. It just lets you hide your stuff 
and then get the triggers in addition to not having to get raft. Mm -hmm. I, I think also Blink kind of opens up the door for us to consider stuff that doesn't immediately look like it would be um, a, a replacement piece, but that still could serve as it. Um, a card like Panharmonicon really jumps out to me here because the function of Panharmonicon is to give you an additional enter the battlefield trigger from your creatures entering the battlefield. It is not a Blink spell, but to me, I feel like that kind of qualifies in the Brago conversation. It definitely amplifies Brago, but I feel like it doesn't just amplify Brago, if that makes any sense. It's definitely one of those ones that's right on the line between being kind of a payoff card or a, or, or a, a force multiplier, I guess, and kind of duplicating the ability. It's it's mm -hmm. very close to going either way, if not doing both of those things. Yeah, I, I would put it in the same kind of category as Strionic Resonator, where it's it's taking the ability that Brago's already doing and it's just making it more impactful. Um, mm. I, it's not actually doing the blinking itself so much, so I, I would stray away from that one, but if you okay. want to believe that, uh, you have <laughs> you have my blessing. That's fine. Well, and there are things similar, like, like Conjurer's Closet, that's, that just sits there requiring yeah. no intervention on your part at all and generates you a trigger every turn of whatever creature you choose to blink with it as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's just it. That's why I wanted to label a range on these because some people might count some of those and some people might not. So that's why I say roughly nine to 11 pieces for Brago. But again, we're kind of going up as we shift to these different archetypes. And I'm going to close out with one more example from just the data here with uh, an archetype that I feel like blows the rest out of the water when we're talking about commander redundancy. Let's talk about Mogus Goddess Slaughter. This is the <laughs> Punisher God in Rakdos. At the beginning of each of your opponent's upkeeps, they either have to lose a creature or they take two damage from Mogus. It is, of course, being a Theros God. You have to have a certain devotion to make it a creature, but you don't even want it to be a creature. It's just one of those cool, indestructible enchantment gods. It's awesome. Mogus, of course, is just a Punisher that whittles away enemy life totals. I wonder how many other Punisher effects show up that do a similar ability to Mogus in its average deck list. Matt, do you got any numbers for us? What do you think it looks if, like? If I had to guess, I'd guess 60 to 65, depending on how many lands you're playing. <laughs> so that is just it. It's actually roughly like in a range of 26 to 30. That's how much additional punishment is happening on the Mogus front. And what makes it work that way with Mogus is the ability is relatively broad. You generally don't care why they're taking the damage from Mogus or how <laughs> it's being generated. You just care that they're generating damage. Therefore, anything that does something very similar, even if it's not like on upkeep or it's not based on sacrificing a creature or whatever, that doesn't matter. It's still a backup to Mogus because all you care about is that damage being dealt. Yeah, basically every card in a, in a typical Mogus deck just happens to read roughly templated. Whenever your opponent does this, it, they take damage. Uh, whether it's mana barbs where they, you know, whenever an opponent taps a land for mana, mana barbs deals one damage to that player. Or you have cards like Ink of Mishra and Zozu the Punisher. Whenever, you know, somebody plays a land even, something as basic as playing a land, they're going to take damage. So it's just like all these, you know, opponent does this, they take that. That's pretty much every single card in the deck. Or there's some that don't even require them to take an action. Havoc Festival, it's just like you got, you, you're going to take half your life every single turn. And that's just the way that the game is going to go. All you, you taking a turn is punishment enough. Yeah, um, it, it definitely sets up an interesting dynamic here as well, because this is a situation where 
you don't necessarily even care if Mogus is, is being replaced. These aren't backing Mogus up necessarily because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. You just have all these effects. You have a gazillion Moguses. <laughs> so, so if the one in your command zone isn't available or whatever, your deck's just full of other Mogai <laughs> um, that, that do a very, very similar thing. You, you have Mogais doing... Mo yes. stuff, but <laughs> but you, it, I mean every like everything in the deck is basically extra copies, like you said, Dana. I mean even painful quandary, which is one of my favorite yet least favorite cards around. Uh, it's just an enchantment that you know it's it's three black black and reads whenever an opponent casts a spell, they either take five life or they discard a card. Like it's just all these types of effects and just the redundancy is through the roof with a Mogus deck. Yeah, I mean you know um, mana barbs. Tap a land to take a damage. Like, it's just so disgusting. It's it's rough. So, yeah, we wanted to end with Mogus as, like, a concrete example of, like, those numbers got up and up and up as we transitioned from one type of category, like a wheel deck, to another type of category, like a Punisher deck. And I kind of wanted to use that as a, sort of a way to highlight that different archetypes of decks will need different types of support and can get different types of redundancy there. A thing like the Punisher mechanic has plenty of other pieces because maybe of the straightforwardness of that plan, whereas something like Landfall might be a little bit more tricky. And that's just a really good thing for you to know about how valuable your commander is to your game plan. Like, does your deck already contain a gazillion Mogai, Mogus, a gazillion Moguses, and a new band featuring a lot of hard rock music? <laughs> like that might devalue how much you need to have Mogus on the battlefield compared to something like the Zyrus that we talked about at the top of the show. That seems a lot more valuable to the deck's game plan because it doesn't have as many replacement pieces. So well, let's talk about that. So there are some commanders that have no backup at all. Um, the, the one that jumps out at me is, is Joey's good friend, Miss Andre Falconrath. Um, ah. <laughs> Andre is a card where you tap her to discard a card and draw a card. And whenever you discard a card, uh, if it has madness, you untap her. So that deck tends to run a ton of really bad madness cards to just get a chain going of, of filtering through your deck. If you drop um, her on turn three and pass the turn to someone who immediately control magics her, you're just stuck with a deck filled with bad madness cards that you can't really do anything with. Um, that's it. You're just stuck in the mud. So there's there's a handful of commanders like that where there just exists nothing else that does what that commander does. And if you lose that commander, you are out of luck. Or even if the deck could have additional things that could serve the function, in the average data, they don't. Kenrith the Returned King stands out as a really big example to me. He is an amazing mana sink with an ability in every one of the colors that if you have infinite mana, which his deck seems to want to do a lot now these days according to his average data, like he's a terrific mana sink that will probably just win you the game. But his average deck doesn't contain a lot of other mana sinks. I think the only other one that I could find in his average deck was Emil the Blessed, the unicorn that can blink stuff. And even then, that's not a card that most people have because it's from Jumpstart and therefore $86 billion. Yeah. So the average data, even if there were other mana sinks that you could play in a Kenrith deck, on average, people aren't playing that, which means that Kenrith is just so much more valuable in that deck because he's the only mana sink in it. Well, and it, it's crazy to me that people just can't find room for a walking ballista, which is, <laughs> it, it goes in every deck and especially a five color deck. But you are right, like the average Kenrith deck, like, I mean, granted, if they have infinite mana, they're just going to recast Kenrith again or find some way to recast him. But you are right, like having some sort of backup plan for that, it, it it's very, very specific, but having a mana sink isn't always a bad thing. 
Well, I mean, I don't even know if it's the, like, can't find the space for a walking ballista. Can't find the budget for a walking ballista. That one also got up there in price. That well, one got reprinted, though. It's only like $10 at Card Kingdom and TCGplayer.com slash EDH. It's right. a lot for some of us. Okay, so some other examples jump out, too, like the entire Voltron archetype. What else is going to be your replacement for a Voltron deck? Almost nothing. There's no commander, excuse me, there's no card in your deck that's going to hold onto your auras in the same way that Ural the Mist Stalker is going to hold onto your auras because it gets bigger for every one of them and he's got hexproof and he's the only card in your deck that's going to do commander damage with them. Yeah, um, in my Enchantress deck, which is led by Sagarda, host of Hurons, um, if Sagarda somehow goes away and I don't have access to her, then I'm stuck trying to dump a bunch of auras onto a Verdurn Enchantress. And that's never, ever going to be good or end well for me. Now, I, I mean, I would push back a little bit. You are right that, like, none of these other cards that go into decks are going to deal commander damage. And for a lot of these decks, that is very, very important. Like, you're all the Mist Stalker, Rafik of the Many, etc. But there are some cards that can slot into decks that, you know, folks have access to. Core Spirit Dancer is one of my favorite ones. It's, it's a cheap card, uh, you know, as far as converted mana costs, only two mana. Gets bigger with every aura that you put onto it. Um, and also you get to draw cards too. It can, so it can be a very powerful engine, very powerful payoff card. But commander damage is very, very important for Voltron type of decks. So having a backup plan is nice, but I agree, Joey, they definitely are not nearly as impactful. Well, and what's interesting there, Matt, you mentioned the Core Spirit Dancer. Core Spirit Dancer might be one of the only other effects quite like it. Like there aren't necessarily a ton of Core Spirit Dancer effects out there for those archetypes. So even if there are some replacements that could work, it might be a case where your deck still only has like three to four potential replacements for a commander compared to other archetypes out there that have like, you know, 26 to 30, uh, like we saw with the Punisher, for instance. So there could be something that is still sort of circumscribed by the number of cards that you have that could fulfill those roles. And real quick, I actually feel like it's important for us to mention, like we chose specific uh, examples of commanders that sort of typify an archetype, but they are not dictators for the entire archetype. Like Mogus is one example of a Punisher archetype, uh, but just because it has a whole bunch of redundant pieces doesn't mean that every Punisher commander out there will. Just because we saw so few with Zyrus doesn't mean every wheel deck has that few. There actually might be wheel decks out there that have a lot and is going to be deck dependent. So you as a brewer should take a look at that and note that this isn't like us saying specifically these archetypes have that many, just these specific commanders have that many from examples of these archetypes. But it's still important to know how much your deck personally has that could serve as a replacement to that commander and why. Well, this might be a good time to talk about some of our own decks and some of the backup plans we have baked into our our own lists. Um, the first one that jumps out of me among my decks is my Reki History of Kamigawa deck. Reki himself draws me a card whenever I cast a legendary spell. Nothing else does that, but for the most part, Guardian Project, which is an en enchantment that you draw a card and you cast a creature spell. I mean, my creatures are all legendary, so like functionally, it basically does what Reki does. Great Henge does the same thing. Um, there's a sorcery spell called Glimpse of Nature. Whenever you cast a creature spell to the end of turn, you draw a card. Um, Zendikar Resurgent. So there's there's other things in that deck that mostly replicate Reki's ability. And if I wasn't so um, fixated on only playing legendary creatures, there's plenty of things in green like Beast Whisperer that, that do the very same thing that I could run as well as a backup plan there. Well, taking that idea, Dane, and kind of applying it to my own decks then, um, I think about my Riel the Everwise deck, which is the, is it commander that uh, whenever I discard cards for the first time that turn, I then draw that many cards. And so that deck is all about drawing a bunch of extra cards every given turn, even on opponent's turns. 
And so cards that kind of function along those same lines, I think especially is going to be Teferi's Ageless Insight. That's a enchantment for two blue blue. And if I would draw a card, except for the first card I drew it, my draw step, I draw two cards instead. So basically it just doubles up all my draws. Well, in a deck that's all about drawing extra cards, even if I'm not getting the, the benefit from discarding cards to draw extra, I'm still drawing, you know, it turns goes from three to six or from two to four. That still creates a very, very powerful engine to then power up the rest of the cards in my deck. Uh, you know, I have like the Psychosis Crawler. Sure, I draw a lot of extra cards. Psychosis Crawler isn't really that you know, type of replacement for Riel, but Teferi's Ageless Insight, that definitely is. Um, Locust God also functions kind of in the same way where it can create its own extra draw triggers, but also just happens to be, you know, uh, there's a payoff built into the card. So just finding ways to generate all those extra draw steps and maximize the draw card effects. Those are the types of things that I really like seeing in, in my Riel deck. Oh yeah. When we take this exercise and apply it to our decks personally, things get really interesting for me because I have a lot of partner decks, certainly more than, uh, than a lot of other folks that I know. And the partners feel like they are completely different levels of importance to the deck. My Rayhan and Ishai deck, for example, is really, really cool. And I love Ishai because it will get me a bunch of counters. But frankly, Ishai is the more replaceable commander of the two because I also could be playing stuff like Mana Gorger Hydra to collect all of those counters. If I don't have Ishai, a Forgotten Ancient will also do a very similar job. But Rayhan... There's not a lot of effects that can do what Rayhan does, because when my stuff is dying and Rayhan can help me move those counters around, there aren't too many cards out there that can do the same thing as it. And the only one I'm currently running in my deck that has even slightly a similar ability that could replace Rayhan is like the Ozolith. And aside from that, I don't know what else would let me move things around as efficiently as Rayhan does, at least in the way that I've built that deck. So one of the commanders is very replaceable, it feels, and the other one is so much more valuable and much harder to replace. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting just what type of or what abilities on any given commander you know people like to drill in on whether it's me with you know the extra draw triggers with Riel or or Dana just trying to draw extra cards through casting those legends like each of us has you know and we talked about this in our, our rec room episodes that we uh, recorded a few weeks ago we all have different ways that we like to kind of drill down and maximize commanders so it's interesting to see how that carries out in our own decks even. So now, fellas, as we're taking a look back at all of that data and all of those different examples of substitutes and redundancies, do you have any final thoughts that we want to leave off with before we close out the show? Anything that jumps out to you as other important lessons to take away about commander substitutes and replacements? I mean, I definitely want to reiterate just if you're playing a deck that the commander is just absolutely vital, like those Voltron decks. Um, I know in my Valduk Keep of the Flame deck, if I don't have Valduk out there to kind of suit up with all the different equipments that I'm playing, the deck typically doesn't do a whole lot. Um, so if you are playing those hyper focused decks, like making sure that you're planning some sort of way to have a backup plan, uh, the, it's so, so important because you don't want to be doing nothing in a game. You know, say somebody kills your your Voltron commander, you know, a few times, eventually it's going to get too expensive to be recasting. So uh, making sure you have some sort of redundant pieces. Um, and likewise, if you know somebody's deck and you know that they don't play very many redundant pieces for their commander, maybe that's somebody you want to be targeting a little bit more, unless it's my deck, unless it's Valdeck. <laughs> then just look the other way. Don't mind me. <laughs> no, Matt, that's such a good point. Like if someone's got a commander that they can replace pretty easily with other cards in their deck versus I'm against you and Valdeck's the only thing that can do what Valdeck can do, I might want to point my removal spell at that Valdeck instead of the other person. I mean, I definitely have had the problem where, yeah, there, I had Valdeck killed three times and I just, there was no way I could recast him. So I sat there and didn't do much. 
Yeah, if there's any way you can find a way to run a piece of redundancy to prevent from getting caught with, I guess it would be your playmat down would be the metaphor. Um, you should definitely find a way to do that. It's going to just make your play experience way, way better not getting stuck. Like you said, they're just, just top decking Matt and hoping you could, hoping the game would end. Caught your ear caught with a split sleeve. There we go. Yep. Oh my goodness. Uh, th this also, I feel like, kind of is a good lesson in sandbagging as well. Like, if you've got an Omnath Locus of Rage doing what he's doing on the battlefield, you probably don't need to commit the Rampaging Baelots and the Avenger of Zendikar in your hand onto the battlefield as well, because you've already got one commander doing the same thing, and you can hold off on those. That way, if someone does solve the Omnath problem, you can follow it up very easily, as opposed to you've overcommitted to the board to do two things on the battlefield that were kind of fulfilling the same function, and you might not have needed to, so Ratspell would have, like, doubled you out there if they get rid of both of those pieces, as opposed to you sandbagging there. That can be a good signal for you to remember which of those cards you should play when something else is on the battlefield that's already doing that same thing. Yeah, knowing what to put in your deck often is just as important as knowing when to play it. Like, like Joey said, mm -hmm. if you're running away with the game uh, and you don't have to play any given cards, it's a lot of times it's actually knowing when not to play cards. It's kind of a level up moment for a lot of players, knowing that, hey, I don't need to play this extra card because you know, if something happens, I can play it next turn and I don't miss a beat. So that's, that's a very, very valuable skill for just every player to get a little bit better at. Yeah. And, and then I guess another final point that I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on here too, is that some of these redundancy effects that you might see in a deck might actually be different effects in disguise. And you really got to drill down really far to see what it is that the commander is actually offering that other cards might be able to replace. The example that comes to my mind is my new card door, the Doom Scourge deck, which is the new uncommon Rakdos commander from Kaldheim. When it enters the battlefield, it effectively goads all of your opponent's creatures to force them to attack each other. A bunch of stuff that's showing up on Carter's page on EDHREC is a bunch of cards like Fumiko or Goblin Spymaster that force everyone to attack. But those effects, I don't count them as replacements for Cardor in my deck, and I don't actually want to run them as a result of that, because those just make everyone attack, but they could still attack me. What I like about Cardor is that he makes it so people can't attack me, and that is a very different thing. So I'd want to look to different cards than just that everyone must attack. I want to look to cards that say, no, they can't hit me at all, because that's what I'm actually getting from Cardor. So some of those things are a little bit disguised and if you are going to apply this exercise to your own decks you got to look really really critically at it well I, another good example of that joey is i have a pestilence deck i play um with athreos um veil shroud shroud veiled i guess it would be um as the commander there's just a limited amount of pestilence like cards have ever been printed um so since i am capped at running those like five or six effects i needed to find one more way to do that, or, or or as many as I could, I guess, technically. Um, so I found Karma, which is a, a, an old white enchantment that deals damage to all players based on the amount of swamps in play. And since I'm running Urborg in the deck, and I have a multiple ways to keep me from taking non-combat damage, you know, Pestilence is nothing like Karma, but it's a way to deal damage with an enchantment that I have a way to dodge that damage. So functionally, it kind of works for what I want in that deck, even though it's not at all remotely close to what the main damage dealing cards are. Remember at the top of the episode, Dana, how I said that you didn't need any of the new Time Spiral Borders because all of your cards already are in? There we, yeah, well, there we go. That's a perfect example, Joey. Prove, proven our point. Proven proven the point. And I hope that your pestilences don't delete all of Matt's stick figure infinite tokens during our games. <laughs> it, it, it's already been done. 
done. Man, it's, it it's really been has. done. <laughs> All right, fellas, let's call this episode to a close. Thank you so much for joining me. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. Um, we have all sorts of awesome, awesome guests. The games are usually pretty fun too, but man, if you want to hear about some food ranking and just jabbering on about <laughs> um, what carb is the most important part of any given meal um make sure you tune into the stream because that is covered as well and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach uh, you can hear me once a week on my other podcast cmdr central and i am writing articles once a month for edh rec and for commander's herald you can also find all of us at patreon.com slash edh recast and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can follow the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the entire team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast here, and our thanks go to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC, and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and more insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>